the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. God had been faithful to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt through the desert wilderness just as he promised. He was preparing them to enter the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The first generation of Israelites had died out because of their idolatry and rebellious behavior towards God. Now is the time for the next generation to take hold of God's promises and to rely on Him. We join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 26, verse 1. As Israel's been journeying with the Lord through the desert, they have reached the edge of the promised land. But remember, the whole reason they were wandering out there all that time was because they disobeyed the Lord. They wouldn't trust Him, wouldn't follow Him. And so they kept walking around in circles because they kept resisting the Lord. Chapter 25 closed with God's final judgment upon that first generation, the one that came out of Egypt. And now is here in chapter 25, that was God's final judgment upon them. Chapter 26 opens with a new beginning as the second generation steps into their place. Will they be like their parents or will they be like Joshua and Caleb? Will they trust the Lord, obey his commands and march onward to blessing? Or will they too wander out their years in spiritual mediocrity? These are all the questions that will be answered by the second half of the book of Numbers, which we begin tonight. And it starts truthfully with a full reset. We could literally take the first 25 chapters, mash them up and start Numbers with chapter 26 and you wouldn't know the difference because God gives a full reset to the nation of Israel. So some of it will feel repetitive because we have already done this. And yet, while it will feel repetitive, may it remind us of the fresh start that Jesus has given to us so that we might press on to experience all God has for us as well. So chapter 26, we begin in verse 1. And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel, from twenty years old and upward, throughout their father's house, all that are able to go to war in Israel. And so Moses and Eleazar the priest spake with them in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Take the sum of the people from 20 years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel, which went forth out of the land of Egypt. So we start here with the same first verses that start Numbers chapter 1, where in Numbers chapter 1, the Lord spoke unto Moses and said, verse 2, Take ye the sum of the congregation of the children of Israel after their families by the house of their fathers, with the number of their names, every male by their poles from 20 years old and upward, all they're able to go forth in war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies. 
The only difference now is Aaron has died. 40 years have gone by. Now it's Eliezer, one of Aaron's sons. At this point in time, God commands to renumber the men of war. Just like he started the book to count the men of war. Now he wants them to count the men of war again. God isn't counting the people because every few years he just loses track. And he's not asking to count because he doesn't know how many there are. The Bible says that he knows the number of the hairs on our heads. I don't even know that. And I just know the number keeps going down as I get older. But he's calling attention here to those who will have the responsibility of taking the land. You, it is your responsibility now. It's been your, your forefather's responsibility, but they are dead now. It is your job to take the land. You must not fail where your parents did. Moses, when he hears the command to count, he talks to Eliezer, gathers all the leaders together, and he says, take the sum of the people, guys. We're going to start from scratch. And so, verse 5, we begin with the tribe of Reuben. Get ready to hear a lot of funky names. It says, Reuben, the eldest son of Israel, and the children of Reuben were Hanok, of whom comes the family of the Hanokites, of Palu, the family of the Paluites, of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the family of the Carmites. These are the families of the Reubenites, and they that were numbered of them were forty and three thousand and seven hundred and thirty. And the sons of Palu, Eliab, the sons of Eliab was Nemuel, and Datham, and Abiram. This is that Datham and Abiram, who were famous in the congregation, who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah, when they strove against the Lord. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, what time the fire devoured 215 men, and they became a sign. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. In this counting here of Reuben, we get actually some extra information here. Now, as we go through this, if you kind of mirror it with chapter one, you'll see some similarities. However, you're also going to find some things that are different. One of the things that's different already is we didn't get the tribal family divisions in the first census. It just said Reuben had this many people in it. This was their leader and it moved on to the next tribe. But here we actually get all Reuben's sons that actually their descendants turned into clans. So we actually get the the family clans that were in the tribe that were notable. So why is it different? Well, what's interesting is this census, this list, it actually mirrors Genesis 46 verses 8 through 27 a little bit more than it mirrors Numbers chapter 1, which was the first census. Why? Well, if you go back to Genesis 46, that is the count of all the family of Jacob when they came out of the land where Laban was and they came back into the promised land. I think that's interesting because that census was taken when Jacob returned to the promised land after spending 20 years with his father-in-law Laban. Well, what prompted him having to go to Laban? Do you remember? Remember that whole bit with the, the birthright and the blessing? What happened on that fateful evening? Isaac says, ah, oh, Esau, I'm dying. Fix me that great meal that you always fix. And Esau goes out hunting, and mom, who knew that God had said that Jacob would be the one that would get the blessing, says, my husband's going to screw this up. <laughs> He's going to mess it up. And so she says, Jacob, I want you to go out and kill the kid, the goats, and I'm going to put the fur on your arms, because Esau is hairy. That's just what his name, his name means hairy. And we'll put the skins on your arms, and I'll make you smell like Esau, and I'll cook the food just like your dad likes it. And he won't know the difference, because he couldn't see very well, and he'll bless you like he's supposed to. And so what does Jacob do? He does it. He goes in there, and Isaac gives him the blessing. And then when Esau gets home, he finds out what his dirty, rotten brother did. And he says, when dad dies, I'm killing Jacob. 
And so he's just waiting for the day when dad dies so he can comfort himself by putting his brother to death. Mama now, she knows, uh uh-oh, things are really bad. And so she says, Jacob, you need to go live with my family over in way out in the middle of nowhere and go there and you'll be safe. I'll tell you when it's okay to come home when Esau cools down. Well, 20 years go by. And during that time, Rebecca dies. She never sees her son again. And of course, Jacob gets married. He has lots of kids. So 20 years after being in a place because he failed to trust God, because he took matters into his own hands, how fitting that Moses would connect the two now that Israel was back on track after 40 years of failing to trust God in the desert. You know, this census is given in Genesis 46 with all the family clans because Jacob's getting back on track. Now Israel's getting back on track. And so Moses mirrors the census like that instead of mirroring it after Numbers 1, a generation that never got back on track. Most of this census is just going to list the family divisions and give the total count for each tribe, but there are some unique people who are highlighted. And in Reuben's case, there are a few people who are highlighted here, and it's two famous rebels, Datham and Abiram. You remember their story? It mentions here that they were famous in the congregation. They were appointed to roles of importance in the congregation, but they strove against Moses and Aaron. They came with this other guy named Korah. He was a Levite. And Korah basically was like, I don't like this. This is way too much of a family affair, Mr. Bush. This is way too much of a family affair in the White House right now. And so they came to Moses and they said, you take too much upon you. They came to Aaron and said, you take too much upon you. We're God's people too. He can speak through us. Moses and Aaron, they say, Lord, we didn't ask for these jobs. You appointed us to this position. And so the Lord said, step out of the way. I'll take care of these jokers. And so the Lord did. He judged them. The earth opened up and swallowed up Datham, Abiram, and Korah. And so the rebels were done away with. And the reason was, it was because they strove against the Lord by striving against Moses and Aaron. The word to strive against, it means to pick a fight, to enter into a contest of wills. Instead of enjoying the honor that was given to them as being important people in the congregation for Datham and Abiram, and then in the case of Korah, because he was a Levite, instead of enjoying the honor God gave them, they craved for more. And by doing so, they picked a fight with God himself. And let me tell you something. You can go into that fight with all the gusto in the world and all the confidence in the world. You're going to get pinned. God doesn't lose. He always wins. And so Moses, he says, as a result of their judgment, they became a sign. They became a lesson. And Moses leaves that lesson here in this numbering. He says, guys, you're a new generation. You've got new opportunities. Don't make the same mistakes. The definition of a fool is a man or a woman who refuses to learn from the mistakes that they've made and the people around them have made. That's the definition of a fool because you refuse to receive the counsel that the Lord has brought into your life. Don't be a fool. Don't not learn from the mistakes that other people make around you. Don't stubbornly repeat the same mistakes thinking, well, I'm unique, or that God's warnings don't apply to you, because they do. They apply to you. Take heed. That's what a wise person does. I've had guys I went to school with who don't even, don't even profess the faith anymore. I don't think I'm exempt from that. I don't get up in the morning and go, oh, that guy was just, he's stupid. I, I know, I roomed with that guy. He wasn't very bright to begin with. No, no, no. Those things are sobering. I broke bread with those guys. We prayed together. We sought God together. Some of them have an influence in my life of why I'm here today. And we have to take heed to that warning that, what did Paul tell Timothy? He said, take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. For in doing so, you shall save others and you shall also save yourself. Save yourself. Take heed to God's warnings. That's what a wise person does. Well, the next tribe that's mentioned is the tribe of Simeon. And we're going in birth order to start off with, but after that, it's going to be all jumbled. Verse 12, 
And the sons of Simeon, after their families, it says of Nemuel, the family of the Nemuelites, of Jamin, the family of the, these guys were Jamin, Jaminites, of Jacob, the family of the Jaconites, of Zerah, the family of the Zarhites, of Shaul, the family of the Shaulites. These are the families of the Simeonites, 20 and 2,200. Now, What's fascinating about that number is the time in the desert decimated this tribe. When they counted themselves in chapter 1, they had 59,000 of them. They're down to 22,000. That's a loss of 37,000 fighting men. What in the world happened to this tribe? Well, what's interesting is we learned from chapter 25 that it was one of the tribe of Simeon's leaders who was the primary instigator in the Baal Peor idolatry fiasco. His name was Zimri, a prince of the chief house among the Simeonites. It's possible that most of the people that were kind of front runners and frontliners in the idolatry and the immorality were from the tribe of Simeon. So it's possible that his tribe experienced most of the plague's effects if they were the ones who were mostly involved. I don't know. Either way, they are not the tribe they used to be. In fact, the tribe of Simeon will become almost irrelevant down throughout the history of Israel from this point forward. In verse 15, we get now to the third tribe, the tribe of Gad. And this is now where the birth order is all mixed up. This is the children of Gad after their families, of Zephon, the family of the Zephonites, of Hagi, the family of the Haggites, of Shuni, the family of the Shunites, of Ozni, the family of the Oznites, and of Eri, the family of the Erites, of Erod, they don't talk about him, they didn't rhyme his name, the family of the Erodites, and the Ereli, the family of the Erolites. These are the families of the children of Gad, according to those that were numbered of them, 40,500. Next, we have the tribe of Judah in verse 19. And the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And so the sons of Judah after their families were, not according to those two, but of Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, of Phares, the family of the Pharzites, of Zerah, the family of the Zarhites. Apparently, Zerah was a common name back then. And the sons of Phares were of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the family of the Hamulites. These are the families of Judah, according to those that were numbered of them. Three score and 16,000, so 76,500, one of the largest tribes Judah is still. It's interesting that Moses brings up the fact that Ur and Onan, the two oldest sons of Judah, died in the land of Canaan. Because that's an ancient story that's mentioned here. Why bring it up here? Well, if we go back, we see that God killed Ur and Onan when they were in the promised land because they had become wicked, just like the Canaanites who were their neighbors. And so I think it's interesting that Moses brings that up because, you know, he says, hey, don't be like Dathan and Abiram who fought the Lord and ended up getting judged. But don't be like these two jokers either. If you go in and you conquer the Canaanites and you take the land back, he says, don't rest on your laurels once you get there. Going into the land isn't enough. You have to defeat your enemies, destroy their idols, and walk in God's ways. And you know what? That's true for us too. What is the song that say, I'll cross the Jordan and I'll go to the promised land and talking about heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking forward to fighting any battles in heaven. Okay? There's, there's no giants in heaven. There's no walled cities. There's no enemies in heaven. Heaven, the fighting's done. I get my crown. My race is finished. The promised land, therefore, can't be heaven. So when you cross over the mighty Jordan, you better have your sword ready because you're not going to Beulah land. You're going to the fighting circle. That's where you're headed to. The promised land is not a picture of heaven. The promised land is a picture of the abundant life we have in Christ. And that's something that we can't just walk on in and expect everything will be fine. I wake up with the devil every day, not my wife. 
He is ready every day. I don't wake up and I don't hear the Messiah chorus playing. I don't sense the spirit of God whispering in my ear saying, good morning, Will. I've got the devil in my ear going, those kids are being really loud. And that bird, you should probably cook them. And I have to decide then and there, right then and there. Am I going to read my Bible? Am I going to get the truth into my heart? And am I going to do what it says? Am I going to be filled with the spirit so that I don't walk in the flesh, but that I walk in the spirit and produce the fruit of the spirit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, meekness, gentleness, you know, the things that, uh, faithfulness that, that come only from the Lord. I don't have them in and of myself. We have to make that choice to enter into the promised land every day. You know, we have to defeat our enemies, destroy our idols, and walk in God's ways. The promised land is that abundant life Christ has promised to us. And if we're going to experience that, we can't be like Ur and Ornan. We can't compromise with sin. We can't ignore God's commands, nor can we get lazy in the fight. And I would ask you tonight, are you doing any of that? Because if you are, it will choke out the spiritual life God offers you. It will choke it out. You may not notice it today. You may not notice it after a week. You might not even notice it after months. But eventually, you'll look around and you'll go, how did I get here? And that is an awful, awful feeling. What is that old hymn? It's one of my favorites. I've, I've told the worship team, I said, you gotta, you gotta learn this one. But the line goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart. Or take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I have a wandering heart. I know it. I know it. It doesn't wake up yearning for the things of God. He wakes up yearning for useless things, wakes up selfish. But every day as I sit at his feet and I let him get a hold of that heart, you know, he changes me and he does. He seals my heart to himself and keeps me on that path walking with him. Let's not be like Ur and Onan. Let's not let the things of this world choke out the spiritual life God offers to us. A couple other interesting people who are mentioned here, Phares and Hezron, because these men are the forefathers of David and therefore of Jesus. Remember, we started off our story with God making a promise to Eve that from her seed would eventually come the Messiah. But then you've got the whole world out there and God has just been little bit by little bit as we've been moving through the Old Testament, narrowing it down. And so now we have narrowed it down to Judah. In Genesis 49, we saw God narrowing it down to Judah, but now we're narrowing it down even closer as we get to Judah's son, Phares, and his son, Hezron. And if you go to Matthew chapter one, you'll see those two names in the lineage of David and the lineage of Christ. Verse 23, we get to the tribe of Issachar. And of the sons of Issachar, after their families, of Tola, the family of the Tolaites, of Pua, the family of the Punites, of Jashub, the family of the Jashubites, of Shimron, the family of the Shimronites. These are the families of Issachar, according to those that were numbered of them, threescore and four thousand, sixty-four thousand and three hundred. So a big tribe here as well down to verse 26, we get to the sixth tribe, the tribe of Zebulun. It says, and of the sons of Zebulun, after their families, it says of Sered, the family of the Sardites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, of Jelaiel, the family of the Jelahelites. These are the families of the Zebulunites, according to those that were numbered of them. They are threescore thousand and five hundred, so 60,500, another large tribe. Now, what's interesting about Zebulun is this tribe had the largest increase during this time. And what's cool about that is that it shows that even though the world might be going to hell around you, you can still experience God's blessing. 
You can still experience God's favor in your life and God working in your life. Even when everything around you is going in the wrong direction. Even though the the people around you are dropping like flies and it's like, what is going on? Has everyone lost their mind? You can stay the course and keep your eyes on Jesus and walk with him. There have been you know, many moments when people who have been influential in my life have fallen away from the faith and you think to yourself, you go, what's going on? What are they doing? But I gotta keep walking with Jesus. That's who saved me, not any of those people. I'm grateful for the impact they had on my life. But if they've all of a sudden lost their mind, doesn't mean I have to lose my mind. I'm gonna keep walking with the Lord. He's the one they pointed me to to begin with. And that's what you gotta keep doing. Just keep walking with your Savior. It doesn't matter even if you walk alone, you keep walking with your Savior. Now, next in verse 28, it lists two tribes together. It says, the sons of Joseph after their families were Manasseh and Ephraim. And so here, Moses, he reminds the nation of the double blessing that was given to Joseph for his faithfulness. Remember that, you know, Jacob had all these sons. He thought that Joseph had died. But he he wanted to bless him, but he thought he died. At the end of his life, he did give Joseph, when he was reunited with him, he gave Joseph that double blessing. And what he did in doing the double blessing is he elevated both of Joseph's sons to tribal status, to equal status with Joseph's brothers. One of those sons was Manasseh. The other one was Ephraim. Ephraim was the oldest, but Manasseh would be the strongest. And so, actually, I might have that backwards. I'm sorry. You're going to have to look that up yourself because I've totally confused myself. One of them is younger, but bigger. That's all I remember. So it's going to start off here with Manasseh. But why do you think that Moses brings that up again, that they received a double blessing? Well, I think the Lord gives us constant reminders that he always honors our obedience. He always does. I tell young people, you know, when they're, they're in that kind of that crux of their life where, you know, they've got a big decision to make. And I, I try to tell them, I say, listen, I say, you honor the Lord with this now. I said, you'll be getting payback for it for years years. Don't make a dumb decision. Don't make a selfish decision. Don't make a short-term decision, short-term pleasure decision. Make a wise decision. Make the best decision now, even if it costs you a little bit more. Because every time you do that and you honor God, there is a huge blessing that comes with it. I can't explain. I have told people, I say, how do you know God exists? I say, I look at my own life. I'm absolutely convinced of it because there are promises in his word that make no sense. Like they don't make sense. Like if it says, do this and I'll bless you this way. And you go, life doesn't work like that. You do this, you make people mad and things go bad for you. And yet there were decisions that were made in my life where I honored the Lord. And I just look around sometimes and I just see his hand of favor on my life. And I'm like, Lord, I know that's not because I'm better than anybody else out there, but I know that you honor the, for example, let's look at one of them. Okay. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And this is the first commandment with blessing that it may go well with you all the days of your life. If you have awesome mom and dad that just love Jesus and they always have your best interest in mind and they never make any mistakes, I don't know any parents like that, but let's say you had that, you could probably go, oh, hey, yeah, that blessing sounds wonderful. But how many of you are in that situation? If your mom and dad are next to you, don't answer that. Most of us weren't in that situation. There are numerous moments where you think to yourself, I don't think this is the best idea. And yet it is the first commandment with blessing that it may go well with you. There were decisions that I made as a teenager that I believe wholeheartedly as some of the good things in my life are because I chose to be obedient to that principle. That's not pumping myself up or whatever, but it's just the fact of it's a, it's, there's a supernatural blessing there that God commands over you when you choose to honor your mom and dad. Now, you ask me to science that out, I can't, but I can prove to you that it works because I see it time and time and time again. 
It's something supernatural. I think that God doesn't want them to forget. Moses doesn't want them to forget that God always honors obedience. God loves you and me so much. He's looking for any excuse to bless us. Any. The nation must not forget this when they encounter the challenges of taking the land. And you and I must not forget it when we are facing our own challenges. If we honor the Lord, he blesses us. If we put him first and do things his way, he will always bless us even if the going is hard. There is always a blessing to obeying God's word. God honors those who obey his commands. God has a greater desire to bless us than we do of asking for his blessings. We are unfaithful, but God always remains faithful. He cannot go back on his word, nor does he change. We can trust who he says he is and in the promises he gives us. As long as you still have breath, God can still work and move. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.